take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going through the, the book of Colossians with our sermon series entitled Strong. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the believers and he prays that we would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. God's desire is that we would all be strong believers and I hope and trust through this series as messages through the book of Colossians we would be strengthened. Last week, we looked at Paul's prayer here through these verses that he was praying. He tells us in uh, verse number nine, that for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And then he lays out his prayer. He prayed for these, these Christians, excuse me, at Colossae and the Christians throughout history that we would walk worthy of the Lord. He prayed that our life would be pleasing to God, that we would be fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, and strengthened with all might. And then we come to verse number 12, is where I want to camp, in verses 12 through 14, as Paul prays uh, there in verse number 4, that we would be people filled with gratitude, giving thanks unto the Father. The truth is that the Christian that is walking worthy of the Lord would be a thankful Christian. As we study the New Testament, the Old Testament, we see in the Bible that giving thanks is a command of God. And so in order for us to be obedient to God, to be walking worthy of the Lord, we must be people that are filled with gratitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Colossians chapter 3, we'll see it uh, through our series in verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Psalm 92 in verse 1, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Psalm 150 verse 6, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then in Hebrews 13, 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The reality is giving thanks to God should be and is a natural characteristic of living the Christian life. However, there are two kinds of struggles as I think about it. Um, living this life in our flesh, there's two types of struggles when it comes to this issue of, of thanksgiving. One, we find ourselves thankful for uh, the things in this life. What do I mean by that? Well, we're thankful for the food, we say thank you for protection, we, we say thank you to God for the material things of, of this life. We tend to, to praise God when we get what we want or things in this life go the way that we want them to go. Now we should be thankful for these things, don't get me wrong. But when we are only thankful for these situations and for these material things, oftentimes it points to our attitude of, or our mindset of worldliness. Uh, 
The other struggle that I see is that in our flesh, we are very self-focused. We believe that we have done some great things. We believe that we kind of pulled ourselves up, as they say, by our bootstraps. We look at ourselves in the, in the mirror and we think, wow, you are amazing. Some of you did that this morning, didn't you? We're like the teenage boy that begins to work out for the first time. Works out, and I remember these days, you work out for the first time and one workout, you go to the mirror and take your shirt off and begin to flex and wow, look at how great you are. Why do you think they put mirrors in gyms? Because people love to look at themselves and, and think how great we are. But we look at what is being done in our lives. We look at what is being done in our ministry. We look at what's being done at work or whatever aspect of our life. And we think, wow, I did, I did that. We're wrapped up in, in, our, in our flesh. And unfortunately, we do the same things in our, in our spiritual life. We look at how great we are and, and what we have, done, we have done spiritually. But the truth is, the spiritual person who is walking worthy of the Lord, who is walking in humility, simply says, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the work that you're doing in my life. Thank you for what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. The Christian that is filled with gratitude is one that we could say is also filled with the Spirit of God. A thankful life is evidence that you are walking in the Spirit. And so as Paul is praying for these believers, he lays out all of these things he's praying, and he says, listen, I'm praying, I'm praying that you would be a person filled with gratitude. I'm praying that you would come to understand who you are in Christ and all, all that God is doing and that you would give thanks unto the Father. We should be thankful for, for the life that God has given us and the family and the friends and all the material things and the protection and, and we should thank God. But here in, in verses 12 through 14, Paul gives us three blessings that every Christian should be thankful for in their life. And I hope that as you see these, that you'll be challenged and that your heart would come to understand, that your life would come to understand truly all that we have because of Jesus Christ. Number one, he tells us in verse 12, if you look there, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Number one, we see that we are qualified for heaven because of Jesus Christ. He said there in, in your Bibles, he says there that he has made us meet or made us fit to be able to go to heaven. Now don't miss it. Our thanksgiving should be directed toward God the Father because every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. But that phrase, there made us meet, means that he has qualified us to go to heaven. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean that he gave us character fit 
for heaven. That's kind of what happens during the, the sanctification process. We're growing and becoming more like Jesus Christ, and none of us, we understand this on this side of eternity, has, has arrived. And so it's not that our practice is perfect. We're growing in that area. But what he's talking about is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, our position has changed. You see, when we're saved, we're changed positionally. We're no longer the enemy of God, but we are family. We're no longer lost, but we're found. We're no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ. And so at the moment that we are born again, we are now fit to go to heaven. You see, it's not about what you've done or, or what you're trying to do in, in your life. It's, it's Christ's righteousness that we receive at salvation. I, I love John chapter 14 for, for many reasons. And a lot of times we quote that verse number six where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But, but I don't want you to miss what he had just told his disciples previous to that. He tells them, listen, you believe in God, believe also in me. Basically, don't let your heart be troubled, all right? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And don't miss this. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to receive you that where I am, there you may be also. You see, what Jesus just told his disciples is you're fit to go to heaven. And, and listen, one day you're gonna leave this world and, and this world is not your home and one day you're gonna be with me in heaven. And this is the same thing that Paul's telling us here in Colossians. Listen, we need to give thanks unto God the Father, give thanks unto the Father because he has made us fit, he has qualified us to go to heaven. We are now fit for heaven in, in Christ. He also tells us here in this point of being qualified that we, are also, we also have an inheritance uh, in Jesus Christ. Can I say it this way? We, we get it all. You think about it, we, we, we get it all. I know oftentimes we think of spiritual life as, as the difference between going to heaven and going to hell, and that is a massive part of it, and that is at the foundation of it. But as you study through the New Testament, Ephesians tells us that in Christ we have all spiritual blessings. We get everything that comes with being in Jesus Christ. All the, the blessings and possessions that come from being a part of, of God's family. I've heard the illustration before of, of the, the, the rich man who had one child, one son, and, and his son had grown up, and, and he loved that son dearly, and um, the rich man, he had so much money, he had uh, butlers and servants in his home, and, and one day his son died. And that broke his heart. And, and, and then finally the time came that, that, that the man died and he had no other family, and so all of his material things were going up for auction. And, and he had such great wealth and great treasures and, and works of art and, and antiques and all these things were going up for auction. And so people came from all over the world as they broadcasted the, this auction was about to take place and wealthy people from all over the world came. And as the auctioneer got up to start, everybody was excited about what was going to be the first piece and, and how were the bids going to go and and finally, the, the auctioneer unveiled the first piece, and it was a portrait of the man's son that sat above the fireplace mantle. And the auctioneer began to, the bid, and who would give me $1,000? And nobody spoke up. 
who would give me $500 and nobody spoke up. But in the audience, there was one of those servants that grew to love that man and love his son. Had great affection for that son. The auctioneer said, who will give me $100? And finally, that, that man raised his hand and said, I'll give you $100. Going once, going twice, sold. The picture of the son was sold to that servant who loved him so dearly. The auctioneer boldly proclaimed, that ends the auction today. People began to murmur and grumble and complain, and he, he, he hushed the crowd and he said, the stipulation of the auction is this. Whoever gets the son gets it all. Whoever gets the son gets it all. You see, whoever gets Jesus receives it all. People in this world are striving and they're working and they're laboring and doing all these things to earn favor with God. And they're trying to, to, to get all that comes with being a part of God's family and their own power and their own strength. And God simply says, it's only through Jesus Christ. In the Bible, we see over and over, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we are fit for heaven. In Christ, we receive the inheritance of all that comes with being a part of the family of God. Number two, in verse 13, Paul says, I hope that you'd give thanks to the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And number two, he says this, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So number one, we are qualified for heaven. Number two, we are delivered from the power of darkness. That, that verb form used there, the, the verb for delivered is, is only used in the New Testament of the work of God. And what Paul wants his readers to understand and what he wants us to understand is, listen, this is a work that only God can do in your life. You see, man's greatest problem is, is sin. We don't hear much about that in our world today because people don't like to be confronted about their, about their sin. But what Paul wants us to understand and what, what God shares with us throughout the, the, throughout the Bible is that no one can forgive sin and deliver us but God. You see, apart from Christ, we are in Adam. We are in sin and we are in bondage, in the bondage of, of sin. And, and the Bible clearly tells us that in our sin, we are lost, but we are in the bondage and we are governed by the power of darkness in this world. But when we get saved, when we turn from our sin and receive Jesus Christ, he says, he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, when, when we get saved, we are translated or transferred from being in Adam, being lost in our sin, to being made alive in Jesus Christ. We are delivered from darkness to light. He has put us in a, a new kingdom, the, the kingdom of his dear son. The, the picture here that God gives us of being delivered and, and being translated is a picture of deportation. Now, I know that's a hot topic in our world today, and we're not talking about that type of deportation today. But this is the picture. You're, you're deported from the kingdom of, of sin and the kingdom of Adam, and you're translated and taken to the kingdom of, and I love that picture, of, of his dear son. 
Basically what he tells us is here's your new position. You're now a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven and all the rights and responsibilities and privileges of being a citizen in heaven belong to you. Now there is a sense of, of heaven and going to heaven one day, but we have to come to understand the present sense of this as well. We are now in the kingdom of God. And see, the kingdom of God is not, the Bible tells us, eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and, and joy. And so what does Paul say? We need to give thanks to God because he's delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us in Christ to being citizens of heaven. And so now what is ours? It's the righteousness of Christ in us. It's the joy that comes from being a believer in Jesus Christ. It's peace with God that we receive when, when, we're, saved from our, when we're saved from our sin. It's the peace of God as we walk through this life that the world doesn't understand. It's a hope that the world doesn't understand. You see, all of that belongs to us now because we're now citizens of heaven. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been translated into to his kingdom. Basically, he says, now you, you're my children when you once were my enemy. And then number three, in verse 14, he gives us the third blessing that we should be thankful for. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. When we think about that word redemption, a lot of times we kind of just like gloss over it. It's like when you say these theological terms like justification and I say sanctification and glorification and, and these are Bible terms. These are, these are biblical terms. That, and, and sometimes though we just kind of like we just kind of rush by it. And truly don't understand the meaning and what God is talking about. And so what, when he talks about this idea of redemption being re redeemed through his blood what he's telling us is that we were slaves that have been ransomed. A few things to note about, note about this concept of redemption that we see here in verse 14. He says this, in whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, he just talks about the kingdom of his dear son, in whom. First of all, redemption is only found in Christ. There's no salvation outside of Christ. Jesus is the Savior that brings forgiveness of sin. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Only through Jesus Christ can we find redemption. Secondly, we see that uh, we have redemption. We have redemption in Christ. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can have the confidence that we are in Christ and that we have this redemption that God is talking about. The moment that we are saved, we are translated from the, the, the kingdom of this world and, and being in Adam to being in Christ. We have redemption. And then number three, redemption, what does it mean? It means to be bought with a price. Slavery was very common in this world. Most people were slaves. When the Roman government would come in and they would conquer a people, uh, everybody in that people group naturally became slaves. And so the world at that time was dominated by, by this issue of slavery. However, you could buy your way out of slavery, or you could have a wealthy benefactor that would buy your freedom and you would be set free. Sometimes this would happen and, and uh, somebody would be made free or they would 
um, it was very rare, but they somehow were able to pay for their, their own freedom and they were set free. And, but they loved their, their master, their, the one they served so much, they would commit to being what the Bible calls a bond slave. That's the term Paul refers to himself over and over again in Scripture as a doulos, a, a bond slave, a bond servant of, of God. The price was paid, but now I still want to be your, your servant. So redemption has this idea of a, a slave being bought with a price. And then he tells us what the price was. We have redemption through his blood. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that we have redemption through his blood. If you look down at verse number 20 here in Colossians 1, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Can I tell you today, the price of our redemption was the blood of Christ. Pastor, why, why do we take the Lord's Supper? To remember what Christ did for us and shedding his blood on the cross because that's what paid our redemption. You see the price for our redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Peter tells us this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ is a lamb without blemish and without spot. Paul says, we need to be thankful people for the redemption that was through his blood. But then he tells us, what is the result? The result of this redemption is the forgiveness of sin. That word forgiveness carries the idea to, to send away. Your sins have been sent away. And I love the picture when we read there of John the Baptist. When he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus came to die on the cross and shed his blood for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins, so that our sins can be taken away, so that we can be now in the family of God, so that we can have a relationship with God, so that heaven is our home, and that we have an inheritance. It's amazing to me. If your child was given a, two cent Tootsie Roll. Now I know that's from 40 years ago. A 25 cent Tootsie Roll. You would look at them and you would say this. What do you say? If somebody gave your child a stick of gum. Somebody gave you a compliment and said, hey, you look nice today. We would look at them and say, what do you say? Such trivial matters of this life. And we say, what do you say? There's an expectation of, of gratitude and, and the giving of thanks for just these little things that tomorrow we'll forget. Next week we won't remember. They have very little significance in life. But there's an expectation. 
Paul writes to this church and he says, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would be people that, that give thanks for the things that truly matter. Give thanks for the fact that in Christ, God made you fit. He qualified you to go to heaven, to receive the inheritance of, of God. Give thanks for the fact that he delivered you from the power of darkness and has taken you from that lost world on your way to hell and placed you in the kingdom of his dear son in Christ and made you part of his family. In Christ, you have the redemption. Through his blood, you have the forgiveness of sins. It's amazing, isn't it? We're so easily filled with gratitude for just the mundane, trivial things of life. And things of this magnitude, we struggle. We take them for granted. They seem to be insignificant to us. I believe truly that one of the reasons Paul tells them I'm praying for this and this is who you need to be in Christ because he understands that we need to reflect on these things. I believe it's the same reason Jesus instituted the, the Lord's Supper because we need to reflect on these things realizing the importance of what it means to be in Christ and why he came so that we don't take him take them for granted. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for your dear son that came and shed his blood for our sin. And Lord, I pray that each person here today would understand to be in Christ is to have eternal life. And the only way to be in Christ is to, to turn, Lord, from our sin and by faith receive him as our Savior. And Father, I pray that each of us that are believers today would truly understand what he did for us on the cross. And may we be people filled with thanksgiving, people filled with gratitude.